You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. A new season is upon us. Josh Parrish, have you recovered? It's it's not it's not normal. It's it's I'm hearing it everywhere. I'm seeing the buzz. I'm feeling it. Um, and we've got looking- special guests who'll talk about it very, very shortly. Um, and I've also decided we need to be a little bit more proactive. After what's happened with Antonio Conte at Spurs, I'm thinking we need to initiate uh, a new program for all our presenters <laughs> on FNR. I'm thinking no chips, no ketchup, <laughs> uh, no sandwiches. And no fizzy drinks. How, how how many walkouts will we have? Do you think? Uh, I'm not sure if the uh, the staff will stand for it, George. But um, you look, maybe it's a little intimidating. You know, the green room every week, seeing these Man. real trim athletes after the longest preseason in world football, raring to go. And by the way, speaking of the green room, how good how good was it to have that youngster who's just arrived from Queensland, um, and he's put the big green on, mm-hmm. and um, he's showcased. Not only what a smart young footballer he is, but what a canny op- media operator he is. Well, he I'm had fun. Not surprised because he's one of the guys on the field who likes to have Mr. a bit of a Wenzel chat. Mr. Wenzel Hall is who we're talking yeah. about. Likes to have a bit of a chat to his uh, opposite number, who's marking. We asked him about that. He says it, it helps take the pressure off him and stop him thinking about his own game. I, I he heard can jar, jar and jaw a little bit with his, uh, with his marker. It, I, uh, I the heard, anxiety leaves him. I, I heard he's got a, a nickname now. It's called Have a Chat Wenzel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going to be talking to someone who knows the – Western United boys pretty well and everybody else at the club because his mission statement is he's he's head of football operations. He's the, the GM. He, he knows what's going on and uh, we should make him very welcome. And the best part about this is we've got him on Zoom. So why don't you introduce young Mal? Mal Impiambato, welcome. Mate, to looking good. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Well, can you believe it? All that pre-season... The, the six-month preseason that the A League is renowned for, um, it's over. Uh, and, Long, and, and longest longest preseason in world sport, but we're delighted that we're only two days away from our opening game. So know, I spoke to, we're looking forward to I spoke I spoke to Popper about four or five years ago, and he he said the same thing then, and how long it was, and the preseason's actually got longer because of <laughs> the way we've changed our scheduling and we've, our new broadcasters have come on board and. Um, it's a very, very um, uh, exotic and exciting uh, occasion because tomorrow all the talk is out the window and we actually see players on the pitch. The referees have, have got their act together. We're, we, we have a better sense of VAR and we've even, we've even watched VAR spread around the world. And hasn't it been interesting watching, especially from your perspective, because you were part of Football Australia or Football FFA as it was in, in, in those days. You've been part of, um, uh, of a World Cup with, with Australian teams. So you have a unique perspective, Mel. Um, and here you are now at Western United. What have you made of all the, the tinkering and, and all this new technology that we need to embrace because we can't be stuck in, you know, 50 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. The world moves on. Um, and believe it or not, we'll get through COVID with a little bit more support. Um, uh, and we need to be smart. We need to just can't rush back. And I hate this word normal. We're not going to see normal for a long time, but we can be smart and get around and do things. And I bet you're doing that. And that's been part front and center for you over the last uh, few months as you get ready. Absolutely. It's been a, uh, no doubt, a unique preseason, it's fair to say, obviously quite extended because of the break through the, uh, the end of last season and the extension of a, a new starting date for the, for the new A-Leagues men competition. But um, look, we've played a number of preseason friendlies now and we've been hampered by, I guess, the, the COVID impact here in Victoria, uh, but so has every other club. So we've just had to move on and get, uh, and get on with what we maybe classify as the new normal, George. Um, you, you, you had a lot of fun last week. You played your FFA Cup game, and absolutely. Uh, and what you just keep bringing the action, don't you? I, I couldn't believe some of those things that happened in that game. So, it does. so what you, are you doing? You're writing a whole new script. 
We, it may look like it because uh, once you go out and play for points or you put a cup on the uh, on the line, uh, some funny things happen in football, as you can see. But uh, it was just fantastic to be able to get out there and, and first and foremost play against a different side than Melbourne City. I think we played Melbourne City three times during the preseason. So it was an opportunity for us to play a competitive match. And uh, we were delighted to be able to get back out to Geelong just before this week's opener against Melbourne Victory. So it was a, a great opportunity for us to get back playing competitive football. The FFA Cup was the first uh, outing for Western United in that competition. Of course, running that competition formed a big part of your uh, your former role over at Football Australia. So, I mean, just how relieved are you to see this competition still alive, still up and running with all the complications we've had? Yeah, it's amazing how they've been able to obviously get it up and running with the pandemic here in Australia. Um, I'm just delighted that this competition go, goes from going from strength to strength. It's a, a competition that truly unites uh, the game from grassroots through the professional level. So it's fantastic that we're able to see it back in 2021, obviously um, postponed last year due to the pandemic, but uh, fantastic to see it up and running. And credit to all the NPL clubs and the community clubs who are playing in uh, in November uh, and trying to compete against, obviously, most of the other A-League clubs who are now heading to the start of our, of our season. So it is a bit of a challenge for them, but it's just fantastic to be able to see it uh, going strength to strength. And your new media partner has added another la- layer of luster to the FFA Cup. Um, you can now see it getting the sort of support and encouragement, and indeed, platform-wise... It's there for all to see. We're not hiding it. We're not playing it midweek. We're, we're, we're running it out there, and, and it's, they're going to be standalone games. And when the uh, uh, winner is announced, there's something else of quite remarkable value uh, there to be won. Absolutely. You're talking about five games away from being involved in Asia, which is fantastic. And the opportunity for a grassroots club or an MPL club to have that ability um, to play on the biggest stage in Asia is just uh, a fantastic carrot for anyone. So as an A-League club, absolutely. Do we value the FFA Cup here at uh, at Western United? Absolutely. An opportunity to win trophies. There's only three that you can win in in Australia, the A-League, the Championship, the Premiership and the FFA Cup. So uh, from our sense, uh, we're just delighted as a club that we're actually be able to there was our first actual game in the FFA Cup so another milestone for our club and an opportunity for us to uh, to win trophies which is fantastic tell us about your role at Western United what does it actually involve for the layperson who doesn't really everything, understand what everything. GM does <laughs> You're not too. You're not too wrong, George. Um, basically, overlooking the whole football department, everything from our our boys' youth to our women's program to also our A League um, competition and men's uh, competition as well. So, just got to get used to the new naming rights competition, A League men's and A League women's. So, just got to roll that off a little bit, a little bit easier over the course of the next few months. But in essence, it's just overseeing the football department, um, overseeing the strategic direction of all of our components, both women's, boys, and uh, and senior men's. Yeah, and the uh, and the uh, A League uh, youth is another uh, p- component to the programming mm-hmm. that we're going to have to look at, and it's and it's encouraging that they're all going to get their piece of the pie, their their opportunity to shine. Um, and speaking of shining, uh, Johnny A started with a win. Yeah, Johnny A is fantastic. He's come on board and um, he's been a fantastic acquisition for our football club. When we went through the process of trying to find a replacement last season, we had to look at a few things that were important to our club and and that was obviously someone that would live and die by our values and beliefs of what we wanted to be as uh, as Western United Football Club. And John ticks all the boxes in that sense. Uh, He's come on board and the environment's been fantastic. And most importantly, we want to make sure that we get the right people in here first as well, First and foremost, because if you've got an environment where you can allow people to excel, um, we're no doubt going to get the best out of our players and our people. So John's really done that. He's well respected by the playing group and vice versa. There's a real mutual respect. And uh, we're delighted with obviously the way he started and and the foundations that we've put forward um, this season. We feel we've given ourselves every opportunity to at least be uh, competitive and successful moving forward. So uh, we're really looking forward to this year. There's been a number of changes. We've made a number of changes in our our football um, roster as well as our staff, but they were necessary changes for us to continue to evolve and um, improve our, our, I guess, our practices and our structure. And we feel we've given ourselves every chance to be competitive this season. 
really impressed with your foreign <laughs> signings, I have to say, in particular. For the club, where does that process start? Is it looking at, you know, sort of stats providers or are you going through agents for recommendations or players or is it the coaching staff who, you know, cast their eye far and wide? How do you scout uh, for uh, foreign signings when just the pool of players is so huge? Mm. Yeah, it's a combination of all of that, Josh, to be fair. Um, in essence, what we'll do initially is we'll look at our existing player roster and see where the deficiencies lie. Um, and then there's obviously an opportunity to go, okay, we're going to go uh, we're going go with a foreign signing in a number of these positions if we can't find an opportunity to find an Australian um, that can do that role. And then when it does that, we then specifically look at the attributes that we're looking for in each of the positions that we are obviously looking to fill. And then we'll utilise our contacts, whether they be uh, player agents, they'll be obviously our software and uh, our Wisecout, our Instat, all of the relevant information that we'll do to obviously keep track of our players and the individuals. And then most importantly, um, it's about speaking to the individuals and themselves and making sure that we're bringing the right person in as well. Um, I think you've seen probably many times before in the, in the, in the A-League competition that um, you can bring someone here with great pedigree, but they might not fit into um, into the way of life or the conditions in, in Australia here and also um, the cultural fit and the cultural shift. We're delighted to say that the ones that we do have here at the moment have been fantastic for our club and we're hoping that they'll have an impact for us this year. Yeah, you've had a diamond, uh, you know, come to the club and Diamante has been a revelation. Um, it's, it's a great pity. Uh, we've already heard it from football fans across Australia. Uh, why wasn't he allowed to come uh, as a marquee player half a dozen years earlier? Well, victories Can losses you, Western United's game. I was, game I was that, just going to say. Respect. I was just going to say better late than never. And and you talked about something very special. Then you talked about quality of person, and he's proven that what he does off the pitch as well as what he does on the pitch is equally impressive. He is a character. He is quite a character and a well-rounded individual and offers an awful lot, doesn't he? He does. Not only does he provide, obviously, his um, abilities on the field, it's what he does off the field, which is really important for us, especially as a new club and an evolving club. You need someone of Deer's character, personality, uh, to be driving, obviously, the club and our values. Most importantly, uh, he lives and dies by what this club is about, and uh, he leads by example both of what he does on the field and off the field. He's, he's 38 years of age, uh, but you'll see him here at training every single day. There's a day off. He'll still be here. He'll come out here and make sure he's looking after himself. Um, I think that's been his life. Um, not sure what he'll do after that. I'm not sure if he'll ever want to finish because uh, football's been his life since day one and uh, you'll still see him at 38 years of age. The passion and desire to still love the game the way he does. Um, it's fantastic to see our younger boys hopefully be able to see that and see what it takes to become the elite player that obviously Dia has become over the course of his 20 plus years in professional football. So um, we're delighted to have someone like him on board but uh, he had so much more than just what he adds on the field. Um, it's everything else that he adds off that's important for our club. And, and, and the example he sets, as you touched on, to the Wenzel Halls and all the others who thought they were t- training properly and, and putting in, can you imagine watching this uh, a slightly older gentleman running around with such passion? He hates to lose, doesn't he? He hates, to, right. sorry, he hates to lose the ball, let alone yeah, lose absolutely. the game. <laughs> He's, yes, a, he's, yes. an yeah, he's a winner. He's, he's got that, um, if he goes out to training, uh, he, he'll have the same passion and intensity uh, to win games at training. Um, it, it's, he's infatuated with the game. It's what he loves and that's what he knows and um, it's infectious. The other guys around him obviously just have to be a part of it or else they just don't fit in. So it's a fantastic little cultural, um, uh, I guess, possession to have because it allows us to obviously just then filter through the rest of the, the group and then our younger players come in and see this from one of your, your, your leaders at 38 years of age. That's, you know, fantastic for us. Uh, have you been uh, still running a, a bit of a bubble or can you, uh, you know, run it a bit, a little bit more open uh, than, uh, than where we were at the end of last season where you had to keep everybody pretty close? Yeah, we're still going to be cautious and conscious of obviously there, there is obviously a fair amount of COVID that still is in around Victoria at the yep. moment. 
Um, we're obviously sharing a facility with another professional sporting team in Essendon Football Club here at the Hangar. So we've got to be conscious as well, obviously, our practices and our processes that are in play. Um, we certainly aren't in a, in, a, in a bubble as such. However, we are very cautious of individuals that um, are in and around our training facility. And likewise, on match day, we've just got to take every precaution we can. So it is a bit of a challenge. Like I said, I think we spoke, I, I don't know what the new normal is, but I don't think anything that we're doing right now is normal. Um, but we have to be flexible and agile uh, and I think everyone's now got used to that right I think we've been doing this for the last two seasons so um, one thing that we probably didn't do well last year was adapt uh, when things uh, changed um, we need to obviously make sure that this year we're agile we are flexible and we know that at some point we may need to shift quickly we may need to change our schedule uh, we may need to uh, have a short turnaround but we need to be able to be mentally resilient enough to obviously deal with those kind of things this year. You mentioned the hangar. Um, what are the facilities like at the at the new digs? Because uh, I heard Alexander Priyovich, you know, even someone of his pedigree coming over here was quite impressed. <laughs> they are fantastic, Josh. We're quite lucky to be able to share a facility of this nature. Um, the fact that we've got everything from a rehab and um, recovery and a medical perspective that uh, you could ever ask for as a professional athlete is fantastic. So um, access to pools on site, drop pools, um, recovery baths, um, a gym, that is is extraordinary an indoor area that allows us to do our our prehab and our rehab as well and uh, we've got some real fantastic facilities even the pitch itself is in fantastic condition so we're quite lucky um, but it's an opportunity for us as a club to bring the club together as a collective mm. previously we were split uh, football and administration and now as of January and February next year I believe it is um, we're all going to be here in the one area which is fantastic that's an ability for us to obviously bring our administration and our football together which which will no doubt help us. Uh, Mel, that segues beautifully to uh, what happens next. Everyone's been talking about the uh, the opportunity of um, Western United to have its own stadium. Now, it's been delayed. There have been some setbacks. And I believe Chris Pelivanis uh, was going to join us today, but he's been uh, caught out doing something else that he needed to, to uh, get out of the way. What uh, I believe we can get Chris next week to give us the absolute latest on what's happening at the stadium, and you've got some big news. Absolutely. I think Chris will come on next week and absolutely be able to obviously discuss all things stadium. Um, certainly an exciting part of obviously our journey and our club as to um, our evolution is the stadium build, no doubt. Um, obviously a number of questions around that and Chris obviously is going to be able to obviously fill in everyone around how that progression is going look there has obviously been natural delays due to a, a pandemic at the end of the day we have been in a global pandemic for the last uh, two years so it has obviously certainly impacted on the obviously that progression um, but we're certainly excited about the journey and the stadium build is something that is forefront of what our football club is going to be like in, in a few years time and we're certainly excited with what um, with what is available for us and our boys and our talented girls over the course of the next two, three years, um, what, they've got look, what they've got to look forward to. Um, we want to be a destination club for everyone in the West. And um, when you have something of that nature come on board, that's certainly going to be something that's going to attract people to Western United Football Club. One of my old colleagues, uh, Les Street, we worked together uh, in the days of the FFA Cup when it first launched uh, with a series of programs called Fields to Dream. And it was uh, an exciting uh, opportunity for us to talk about grounds and stadia and this, that and the other. And he's dying to see not only what, what the plans are, but where it's actually going to be. He is uh, not, not just a nitpicker. He is fastidious to the nth <laughs> degree. And he, he, he wants to know the GPS uh, setting and, and all of that sort of stuff because he, he just loves the idea. He thinks it's a game changer. You get this right and it'll put you in a unique position like no other club in Australia. And that, uh, that's pretty special. Absolutely. I think, uh, like you said, I think you've hit the nail on the head, George. Um, I think no other professional sporting club in Australia uh, has been able to do this thus far. So in the event that we're able to obviously do this over the course of the next few years, um, it will be a game changer, not only for us, but I think for the league itself and the rest of the clubs. We may set the benchmark moving forward of what it should look like for the game and uh, for professional sport in Australia. So we're certainly excited. It's obviously an, we're an ambitious club. We're a club that uh, we did come in and we did say we wanted to rock the boat a little and, and we certainly will and we certainly have uh, obviously over the course of the last two seasons um, we've put together a 
and men's team. Um, we've put together a youth side now with two youth teams participating in the National Premier League's competition. We've built a connection with the Calder Women's, which will lead us into our um, A-League Women's competition in 2022, which is fantastic. And that's all in just two years' time, right? So um, we're really looking forward to, obviously, what uh, the future lies ahead for this football club. Um, two years, obviously, in the mix. And uh, we feel we've obviously done a number of things, but um, there's still so much more to achieve. And, and we're ambitious. We're bullish, absolutely. Um, we want to make sure that we're, we're not here to make up the numbers. We want to obviously play a significant part for our community uh, and the people that we do represent within that community. So uh, in terms of the, the complications involved behind the scenes of the stadium build, I know there are some things you can't talk about, but uh, just how uh, complicated is is it working with government for approvals and so forth and also with uh, certain projects that will require government funding? Obviously, the, sta- the stadium itself is privately supported, uh, but things like the infrastructure around it and um, public transport yeah. um, to you know, sort of underserved areas in the West might be an issue. Yeah, no doubt. I think Chris will obviously be able to touch on all of those facets in the in the next discussion next week. But certainly you mentioned a number of those things, which is not just the football stadium that we are building. Um, it's a precinct. So um, there's a number of things that uh, need to obviously be adhered to. So um, I think Chris can add probably a little bit more to that and he's probably got a bit more knowledge on that sense from, from that end. But from a football sense, we're absolutely delighted to be able to see what is uh, being touted as a stadium uh, and a training facility, which is second to none, which is fantastic. Talk to me about Saturday. It, you're up against it. You've got a brand new uh, uh, outfit, uh, basically up against a brand new team. Well, I, sh- I should call uh, it's one of the old teams that is brand new. Uh, Popper is the new coach at Victory. Oh, it's certainly been a He's got a about revolution. 55 new <laughs> players. Uh, they're all under the salary cap. I don't know how they've done it, but no, no, it's an exciting time because Victory uh, didn't enjoy the last couple of years and they are notorious uh, winners. They are notorious serial winners. They, they want to be seen as the, club, the biggest club in the country uh, and they're, they're going to be having to travel to Geelong to yeah. take you guys on Saturday. Um, what time is the game? 7.45 on Saturday night, so uh, we're looking forward to it, that's for sure. So I'm not too sure if they are, but we certainly are. But uh, we know that, look, Melbourne Victory is a, look, a fantastic club with rich history, absolutely. Um, but they've made a number of changes over the course of the season as well. They'll be certainly looking to improve on what they did last season. And likewise, from our end, we had a we had a poor finish. We're, we're not going uh, to steer away from that. We had a poor finish to our season, and we're looking to make amends um, and start the season off, um, obviously, very well as well. Um, so Saturday night, uh, it's just, I think you, you walk around the club now and there's a sense of relief and excitement because we're playing for competitive, a competitive match for three points, which we haven't done in a very long time. So uh, we've got a number of new faces ourselves, but the excitement uh, amongst the group is fantastic and we're really just looking forward to it. We hope that we obviously people can get out there. Um, we've got a fantastic initiative of kids under 12 free, so hopefully encourage a number of our individuals to bring their families, um, obviously um, get out to a game, we haven't done that again in one or two years' time. We haven't been able to go to live football. So now is that time to actually get back and enjoy live sport again. And hopefully Saturday is that opportunity with the Melbourne Derby. Now, I noticed that Melbourne has just uh, waved off uh, more restrictions, saying to all Victorians that uh, things are getting closer and closer to as they should be. Uh, does, that, does that mean, though, we still need people double vaxxed to turn up to the, to the, to the football? Yeah, I think there's obviously recent changes that have been announced literally as early as today. And I think from midnight tonight, there's a number of other changes. So I guess from our end, we've obviously got to see how that evolves and what that means for Saturday. I think at this stage, the the capacity from what we had previously was 12,500. So I'm not too sure if that will be lifted. Um, But I understand that the ticket sales have been great to date. I would encourage people to obviously still get their tickets as early as possible, understanding there obviously are restrictions. Um, But... I guess the opportunity to play in front of a, a fantastic crowd on a, on a Saturday night for competitive um, for three points is, is, is something that we're certainly looking forward to. And we'd encourage everyone to join. And um, it's, it's, it's a season that I think most people are very, very excited about. I've seen a little bit of a change in heart and I've seen obviously it looks a little bit different this year. Um, and people are obviously excited and you can certainly feel it around our football club. And we're delighted to be able to obviously go out and open the season on Saturday night against a, a rival in Melbourne Victory. So I would encourage those to uh, to get to the stadium. But if you can't attend, uh, there's obviously an opportunity for you to watch on Paramount Plus as well, which is fantastic. Um, I was just going to ask you one question. What stage of the week 
does John Aloisi pick the team? Do the boys know who's turning out on Saturday or is there still another session? And then he pins up the, the sheet, the, the, the team sheet and says, there you are. Yeah, so we've got another session tomorrow morning. We'll train here around the hangar again and we'll have one session before Saturday. So at the conclusion of that session, the uh, the team will be erected in the uh, in the change rooms and the players will know if they're in that squad. Um, you won't really know if you're in that starting 11. John will, John will advise, obviously, on the day uh, as to what that uh, 11 will look like. And obviously, uh, um, most of the players will probably change and chop and change throughout the week and they'll see themselves in and there'll, there'll be a few bib changes and uh, the bibs will shift across from one person to another. So John will certainly keep everyone uh, eager and on their toes, no doubt. But uh, the good thing is from our end that we've got, obviously, most of our players up and ready to go for this week, which is fantastic. Cannot wait, Mal. Thank you so much for joining us here on FNR and uh, best of luck for the season. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Uh, short notice, we thank you very much for jumping in uh, and we look forward to catching up with Chris Pelivanis next week to talk about the, the nitty-gritty and uh, answer some of those questions that uh, have been uh, just absolutely needing to be answered regarding the, the, the new stadium and uh, just some big news that's coming out of Western United. Thank you very much for joining us, Mal. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for your support. All the very best. All right. What a terrific time for the game, huh? Let's take a break. We have another special guest coming up very, very shortly. Someone I've known for an awful long time. We didn't work together at SBS, but just you know missed what? each other. Yeah, we just missed him. Yeah, like ships in the night. <laughs> His name is uh, Mike Tomalaris. I know him as one of the great faces on SBS and the man who helped to shape the way we loved and fell in love with the Tour de France the great cycle race that um, the whole world now mm. uh, looks forward to each and every year, even during a COVID. So there you go. We'll be talking to Mike Tomalaris uh, right after this word on FNR, State of Our Football Nation. Josh Parrish, George Danikian. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Uh, Mike Tonelar is not very far away. We're almost ready to admit him into the Zoom room. Not the green room, but the Zoom room. Uh, he's very comfortable in those areas. And I, I don't recognise him with glasses, but uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll take them off very shortly so the rest of the world can recognise him. Uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to catch up with a couple of things that are happening because tomorrow, very big game. It's the first game of the brand-new season, and mm. it's the A-League champions, the winners of the double, Melbourne City, taking on Brisbane Raw at Amy Park. And uh, PK, Patrick Kisnorbo had uh, some things to say when he fronted up first at the wrong venue and then <laughs> ended up at the right venue. So before we catch up with Mike Tomalaris, here's PK, Patrick Kisnorbo. Yeah, everyone's available. Um, uh, that's obviously been uh, away with the international. Um, yeah, so look, we'll, we'll he flies in today. Um, we'll have a training session and yeah, we'll see how they all pull up. I, I know uh, Andy is um, because he, he left early at the camp. Um, Macca and Lex, uh, we won't know until uh, they get in today. Um, so we'll see how they pull up you know, obviously before training and after training and you know, we'll make a decision you know, sort of tomorrow. Socceroos in contention for selection. Wow. Friday night. But if he decides on play, resting those you, guys. Do you play them? I think you play Naboo because he didn't make the trip to okay. uh, UAE to play against yes. uh, China. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Leckie, I think it's a tough turnaround for him from Wednesday morning, 2 a.m. Uh, our time, to Friday night. I can't imagine him starting. And remember what Johnny Aloisi said when we saw um, uh, uh, Harry go down injured. Yeah. Uh, long flights. Uh, it, it takes a lot out of players. Muscles mm-hmm. don't necessarily respond as they should yep. in long flights. Uh, someone who knows all about that stuff is Mike Tomalaris. Uh, he's accustomed to flying around the world. He's always, he's, it's always been a, a ritual. Not, not, not like, uh, you know, the, you know the, a, a spirit. Well, I suppose it could have been a spiritual ritual for you, Mike Tomalaris. Welcome to FNR. How are you? George and Joshua, it's wonderful to be with you, George. I haven't seen you for a long time, but I know you live at Port Melbourne. The spirit of Tasmania <laughs> goes past your place every morning and every evening. Um, I'm fine. I'm really good. I'm uh, looking at the next chapter of my uh, career, of my life, having moved on from SBS after 34 years 
and I couldn't be fitter and uh, healthier and uh, well, life's, life's just beautiful right now, George. Mate, that's that's tremendous to hear. The last time you and I caught up, it was the Tour Down Under. Uh, it was Semaphore Park. And <laughs> and I was hosting, uh, I think, a you know, New Year function there uh, with thousands of people. And the minute he's rocked up on the stage, guess what? They've gone wild. They've gone nuts. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, hang on, I'm the feature act. And Tom Alaris <laughs> is getting all the kudos. So George. He, he's, he's then proceeded to then spend the next half hour, it was a five-minute interview, next half an hour <laughs> doing a thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here <laughs> on behalf of SBS. Look forward to the next adventure. Mate, George, 30, 34, all about years, you. 34 years, 34 years. Now, you, when did you join? Because I, had, well, I, I left in 88, didn't I? That's right. You left shortly after I arrived more or less uh, that's actually that's incorrect i did my first job at sbs in 1987 when i was working for uh world soccer back that's, then and back then uh, george that. yeah yeah i was just basically writing scripts uh for the matches that were coming in off the satellite you know juventus from Serie A, um the epl manchester united uh, chelsea what have you and from france uh uh, PSG and Rennes and uh, you know Monaco and all those sort of teams and 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 I also from Spain Barcelona and Real Madrid and you know back then the Australian audiences were were quite intelligent when it came to world football but they weren't getting a lot of the material uh, outside of the English uh, first division they weren't getting a lot of their football material from other parts of the continental Europe so. Uh, I was uh, very proud to be associated with Les Murray, who took me on board as a scriptwriter back then, just writing scripts for and voicing them for, for world soccer. And one thing led to another. I, I left shortly after to work in newspapers and did a bit of radio, but I came back in 1989. So we didn't really cross paths, George, because you were working Monday to Friday being a superstar <laughs> presenter the World News. I came in on Saturdays and Sundays to work on world soccer. So uh, our paths didn't really cross until later on. But you did catch up with a friend of mine, a young guy called Tim Jardine, who uh, started very similarly uh, uh, a journey very similar to yours. Um, I brought him in just to to watch some of the um, games we were covering in those days, single camera coverages, uh, which was awkward if you missed the only goal of the game, which we promptly did in the game uh, against, uh, I think it was um, uh, Prague playing S- um, Sydney Olympic. And the only time uh, the camera uh, stopped was to change a battery and they scored a goal during that battery change. Uh, things have changed, Mike, uh, not only in the way we disp- distribute and showcase the game, but the way television is done. You, you, you remind me of um, a, a very different time in broadcasting when we had to engineer. We, had to, we, we, had, we actually called – this is the best part. We used to call games off the TV screen. Uh, it was live to tape. The vision had just arrived from Argentina – all we had was a lineup, and we were supposed to call the the games coming out of uh, South America. Now people are doing that again, but they're doing it for different reasons. They're calling off the monitor, but they're doing it because of COVID or because they can't afford to fly there. So yep. it, it's interesting. We've almost gone back to the future. That's exactly right. I can remember it was nineteen ninety three, yep. Australia versus Argentina, or Argentina versus Australia. You might remember Les Murray and Johnny Warren were on location in uh, Buenos Aires. We were one one after the first leg at in Sydney. Yep. It was the year of Maradona's comeback, and. Uh, Les and Johnny were on the field back then hosting Andy Pascalides, who was the main commentator for SBS back then. Where was he? He was sitting in, a, in an audio booth in Sydney at SBS calling the match off a TV monitor, which was no bigger than uh, perhaps uh, your, uh, your, your desk right now. It's, yeah. It was very, very small. Um, but you're right. Things uh, were different back then and uh, they're perhaps uh, much, pretty much the same. 30 years on. Um, But TV has changed uh, in my field, George, and that is uh, covering 
the big events in cycling, like the Tour de France. I can remember when I first covered the Tour de France in the early 1990s, our audience numbers were so small, literally next to nobody was watching. And if there were people watching, the daily highlights programs that that were being presented to our audiences, our numbers were so small, we could literally just record the daily highlights <laughs> on VHS and post them out to the number of people that were watching back then. Now, you're being cruel, but you're very true, very much on the money. Um, and I'll, I'll scare you even more. I remember doing a highlight package for the Tour de France in 1982. Wow. Uh, yep. Yeah, um, uh, it was one of the unique occurrences, um, the late... Um, um, uh, Laurent Fignon? No, no, no. Uh, one of the, the, the head honchos at, at SBS, uh, oh. who's no longer with us, he said to me, I hear you like to do some sport. Uh, why don't you do a coverage of this? And it, again, it was a case of the packaging and putting it to air. Yes. And, and you were there during not only the, the, the real um, beautiful uh, genesis of the Tour de France, but you and that fabulous voice, Phil, um, just... Phil Lee. Yeah, Phil Liggett, what a what a what a what an absolute gentleman, and you can t- you can you can tell us what you know of Phil, but what a star and what a team you guys put together, and what a magnificent um, uh, discovery that you offered a, a brand new audience that was coming to terms with a Europe and and an event that they'd never quite you know got their head around, mm. and then the coverage just exploded and just got better and better. And they were pushing the envelope. You know, we thought the Channel 9 team doing the cricket was the most innovative uh, crew and they were putting cameras in stumps. Well, you can tell us a few stories about where they didn't put a camera. They put cameras in everything. Uh, motorcycles, motorcycle helmets. Um, you saw a magnificent evolution that gave us a, a, a way to view a world-class event, the Tour de France, in a manner that no one imagined was possible. George, there are three people in the world of uh, broadcasting that are my mentors. You're one of them, and I say that genuinely because I've uh, become a newsreader in my time as well as being a sports uh, journalist and presenter, and you're the man who gave me inspiration. The other two, Martin Tyler as a commentator, and you're right, Phil Liggett. Uh, when it comes to uh, golden tonsils, he's up there with the best. He's command of the English language and his description of sport, not just cycling, but he also does uh, the Olympics, summer and winter, is second to none. You're right, George. I was there from the start, back in 1991, when SBS first had the rights to the Tour de France, and that was a time when I was covering football. I was an NSL commentator back in the 90s. I did commentate soccer <laughs> back then, just like you did, because uh, we had to be multi-skilled at a very early part of our careers. But um, back then, I was basically logging each of the daily highlights programs of the Tour de France that were coming in, and they were presented to SBS virtually next to nothing. They were given to us by the French organisers on a platter. We've got this event. It's called the Tour de France. It's not a game of football. (laughs) It's not over in 90 minutes. It runs for three weeks. Really? (laughs) Three weeks, yes, but you can have half hour, a half hour program each and every night. So SBS took it on. It was content. It was valuable content. And even though very few people were watching, it evolved. It snowballed to what it is today. Back then, a lot of Australians would not have known what the Tour de France was. And even if you don't follow cycling, but even, and even if you don't have um, a, a, a small interest in world sport, when you mention the Tour de France, you know it's a bike race. And if you don't realise it's a bike race, you know that it's something spectacular when it comes to television coverage and broadcasting. People watch it for many different reasons, George and Josh. Uh, They watch it for the sport and the pushing of pedals first and foremost. But there is the scenery, there is the architecture, there is the history. And with Gabriel Gatte, there is the cuisine that uh, we uh, implemented as well. So it has many different layers. It's not just a sporting event. It is so much more. And you're absolutely right. And there's another layer that you haven't touched on, and that's the grand drama of the actual race. And in your time, we've had some Australians who could actually compete. And indeed, we had a winner, did we not? I remember when I first started, it was Phil Anderson, and we, we thought he was the greatest Australian cyclist on the planet. And uh, 
you found out that there were a few, quite a few more and we've got some even more exciting talent because of what you guys have done in those early years. Uh, we've, we've, we've uh, I suppose, sparked an interest in the next crop. I, th- I think I live in Melbourne, right? And I watch uh, the cyclists in all their gear. They may as well be cycling in the Tour de France. And, and they do it every day, mate. <laughs> they don't wait for their three weeks. They cycle every day. And you see peloton after peloton. We have the hell ride down here in in, uh, in Port Melbourne. And that's a dangerous event. Do not get in the way <laughs> of that peloton, especially if there's a red light. Oh, dear. But tell me, um, uh, what indeed... Uh, got into your um, um, uh, mind when you were told, listen, uh, we're going to want you to go overseas and do a bit more than you're doing it from, from Sydney. What was that like when you actually landed in France with Phil and the others and you actually could tell a different story? You could wander on that on those how many, how many kilometres? 3,000 kilometres? Three, three and a half thousand. Wow. Well, look, George, George, uh, Josh, I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but uh, back in the 1990s, as I said before, I did commentate <laughs> I commentated on Socceroos matches and NSL games probably up to 300 before the likes of uh, uh, Michael Cockerell, um, Simon Hill, etc. I was doing a lot of NSL matches uh, with Andy Pascalides on SBS, and as a result, I was fortunate enough to go to the World Cup as a reporter in the United States in 1994, which I believe to this day is still it still holds the record as the most uh, a World Cup with the most spectators in the history of the World Cup. Why? And even though you might think, well, the United States is not a, a soccer football nation. It is a nation of basketball, gridiron and baseball. But uh, they had stadiums that uh, were filled by by first and second generation um, uh, Americans who were of, of South American, Central American and yep. European background. So those stadiums, which uh, had a capacity of up to 100,000, were filled uh, to capacity, all of them. And that's why it holds a record as being the most uh, most uh, um, watched uh, World Cup. I went to the World Cup in 1998 also, but it was in 1996 when I was in England covering the European Football Championships, Euro 96. I was based up north covering the games as a reporter in Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, uh, Birmingham. And for me, I had to pinch myself. Here I am in England, uh, the mecca of world football, as it was for Australians, Mm. having watched uh, the coverage uh, back home. Uh, It was just an achievement for me just to be at at Anfield uh, or or, or Old Trafford uh, watching the greats of European football. Not bad for a scriptwriter. Exactly right. But as the games were petering out and uh, we got to the quarterfinals and semifinals, the boss at the time, uh, Dominic Delardi said, look, uh, there's a, an event that we are covering and we have covered over the last five years, as you know. It's called the Tour de France. It starts in the Netherlands in a town called Den Bosch, which is not too far from Eindhoven. Um, and I was having a ball in England, but the boss said, we want you to go over there. Uh, for the first time, we want you to top and tail the highlights program. <laughs> and I stop. Oh, I'm having a ball here. Football is in my blood. I'm in England covering the Euros. Do you really want me to do that? And he said, yes, I do. We've got three Australians starting. Um, We want to move away from the British coverage that we've taken over the last five years. We want you to Australianise it. I was reluctant, but having crossed the English Channel to the Netherlands, where the tour started that year in the Grand Depart, it was a career-changing moment. And it was the first of 26 tours that I had covered. And uh, I've got to say, uh, not only did it change my career as a journalist, as a broadcaster, but it also changed my career as somebody who uh, changed sports. I played soccer up until the age of 42. and I'll be riding a bike for the last 18 to 19 years as a result of covering the world's biggest annual sporting event, the Tour de France. Well, it probably explains why you're so fit, you bugger. Um, it, it's been some journey. It really has. And I just wonder, what's next, Mike Tomolaris? Well, look, I still have an interest in, in football. I still have an interest in broadcast media. Um, I'm away from SBS these days. But, it's, you know, it's funny, George. Um, I didn't realise how much of a difference SBS had made, not only to uh, football, 
uh, through the likes of Les Murray, Johnny Warren, Andy Pascalidis, yourself, uh, Craig Foster, of course, Lucy yep. Zelli. Um, we really have made an impact. But I guess uh, through the network and myself, uh, I've persisted in building the portfolio of cycling. What's next? Uh, I didn't realise there was so much love for SBS. We've been doing something right. There are so many people, as you say, uh, playing football and riding bicycles. And you might think, well, they're two different uh, recreations. They're two different sports. They are. But they are, they do hold parallels because yeah. they have been developed um, in terms of broadcasting from the one network, yeah, SBS. That's true. And, and in, in my experience and my travels, there are people who uh, perhaps uh, become middle-aged. They, they might have been playing soccer and football in their early years, but they now ride bikes because there's no real impact. They don't hobble into work on a Monday morning after being <laughs> to death by an opposing player. They ride their bicycles. And unless they crash, there's no impact on the body. And uh, they feel like supermen. They feel like superwomen when they, when they turn up at work on a Monday morning. So what's next for me? Well, I can tell you that I've been uh, inundated by um, invitations to, to go to France, Italy and Spain as a host of uh, tour operators uh, for cycling, uh, cycling tours. And I couldn't think of anything better. I mean, I eat the best foods, drink the best wines, uh, climb the climb the highest hills and host the most beautiful people, people of my my age uh, who have got the same interests. We love our football. We love our cycling. We love our food. We love our wine. Hey, life couldn't be much better. So that's that's what I hope to do over the next couple of years. If you're going to be a tour host, uh, then I couldn't think of a better person. You, you've you've made all the mistakes over the years. You know where all the hot spots are. You also know where the trouble spots are. So you should be able to cruise it, my friend. Three and a, three and a half thousand kilometres, no problem. Are we going to see you down under, though, with the down under racing, the uh, cycling that goes on in this country? Yeah, look, very few people know that Wollongong in New South Wales uh, will host the World Cup of Cycling in September of next year, and that is the Road Cycling World Championships. The likes of um, Peter Sagan and uh, all, the, all the riders that you see at the Tour de France, Julien Alaphilippe, and uh, all the big names of the Tour de France will be coming to Wollongong, but they'll be representing their nations, not necessarily – well, they won't be representing their trade teams. They'll be representing their countries. Wow. So Wollongong, just uh, one hour south of Sydney – it's a beautiful city, George, as you know. Uh, beach, beaches on one side, the Pacific Ocean, Tasman Sea on one side, and on the other side you've got hinterland and an escarpment. The viewing pictures will be magnificent. Um, the Tour Down Under won't take place in 2022 in South Australia uh, because of COVID. Uh, the riders didn't want to uh, isolate for 14 days, so that'll be held back until 2023. And if you haven't been to the Tour Down Under, well, go. If you can't afford to go to the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia yeah. or the Vuelta yeah. Espana, the Tour Down Under, as you know, George, is just like being in Europe, but you're in Australia in January. And it's free if you if you rock up and just follow the riders. And the atmosphere is the most wonderful thing. You, you the, the peloton arrives and, and you can... It, there's a huge buzz. It's uh, it's an it's an amazing thing if you haven't done it. Tell me something else that uh, that intrigues me. Uh, you've talked about how SBS has it changed uh, our culture in so many ways, uh, cycling, football, yeah, mm. and also the arrival of coffee in this new form. Uh, it can be drunk in many different flavours now and, and in many different fashions. Uh, you were instrumental in, in, in spreading the uh, – yeah, with the, well, well, if it wasn't Les, if it wasn't John, uh, it had to be Mike Tomolaris. I don't know what you mean. I mean, the only uh, <laughs> coffee that I drink, uh, the, uh, the good ones from the finest cafes around yeah. Sydney, Melbourne. Um, I've got an espresso machine uh, here at home. I don't think that really counts. Um, <laughs> Look, you know what, Les Murray, God bless him, wherever he is, and I'm sure he's up there, um, he loved his espresso coffee. He loved uh, uh, smoking and sucking on a durry. Um, and singing. And, he loved, uh, and singing. He loved, <laughs> and singing, yeah. Do you know, uh, I'll tell you something about Les. You might know this, George, but back in the late 60s and early 70s when he was a singer, the name of his band and uh, he was very well educated when it came to the music scene and the history of popular music. The name of his band, and he did the he did the uh, the gigs 
in in a lot of clubs and, and pubs in New South Wales. The name of his band was The Rubber Band. <laughs> Did you know that? I, I do. I'll tell you why. Because I remember seeing him at the Hakoa Club when Frank Lowy was the uh, president of the club. So it goes mm. way back, way, way yeah. back. Can I uh, yeah. voice a, or make a suggestion to you both? Yeah. I, I, I've been long thinking about the name change for the FFA Cup and what are we going to call it. And the Australia Cup obviously is, is logical. Yep. Uh, but wouldn't it be nice if we could pay tribute to the great man and name it in his honour and call it the Les Murray Cup? It works for me. It works for me too. Um, I like FFA because it's got that FA yeah. Football Association right. from England. And look, we shouldn't really tie ourselves to the UK anymore. We can stand up for ourselves, can't we? Look, Absolutely. Les Murray, is there a Johnny Warren Cup? There was a Johnny Warren Cup, yeah. wasn't there, once upon a time? I think there's a Johnny Warren medal. There's a Johnny Warren medal, yeah. Play oh, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. What about a George Denekian Cup? No, no, no. It's 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 too it's too truncated. It's too long, buddy. Uh, <laughs> that must be the FNR five aside. Can you imagine the, the five aside? Yeah, actually. Uh, by the way, um, we took a we took a, an oath uh, or or a, or a um, uh, I made a, a proposal at the beginning of our program today. You might have missed it. Uh, with Antonio Conte coming to Spurs and me being a huge Spurs man, I thought we might start disciplining our team here at FNR. And making sure there's no fizzy drinks, uh, no ketchup, uh, <laughs> no sandwiches, um, and um, and somehow the boys uh, look like they, they they don't like that proposal, and they they're happy to remain as unfit as possible. Do you think Mike will be a more receptive audience? To yeah, this kind of thing? the I, I paragon think, of physical fitness. Well, I can see that. I, there's no way he's doing fizzy <laughs> drinks. I, I'm sure you don't no. do ketchup. And no, I don't. I, I drink kombucha and uh, the finest, the finest rosés from uh, the Loire Valley as a result of my 26 tours. Hey, can I just tell you something? Go. When I was a kid, I grew up uh, admiring watching uh, the match of the day on the ABC television before SBS started. Uh, and we used to get the one-hour programs from the UK a week later. Uh, that's how uh, primitive okay. Yeah. Television was back then. Uh, back then, I used to support Manchester United because I wanted to be like George Best. <laughs> and, and honestly, I was a striker, and I played up until the age of 42. But back when I was a toddler and a, a teenager, I had a lethal left foot, George. You might find that hard to believe. But look, as uh, Manchester United became a little bit um, – I couldn't relate to them anymore with their multi-million dollar budgets and their their multi-million dollar players. I sort of lost interest with Manchester United. I know it's not the done thing to do. But my team these days, and I'll tell you why, is Brentford. Brentford FC. And I'll tell you why. When I started uh, travelling to France uh, covering a bike race, uh, en route, we used to stop at Heathrow Airport uh, before we changed planes and made our way to to, uh, France. But you might know that uh, Brentford is very close to Heathrow Airport. And as the plane, if you had a window seat, which I did regularly, uh, as the plane would make its way onto the runway, uh, if you had a window seat and looked out, you would see Brentford's home home ground. It's that close to Heathrow Airport. And it's so close, you could literally just reach out. It felt like you were reaching out and almost touching the top of the grandstand. And on top of that grandstand were the words Brentford FC. So I didn't become a fan, but I had a mild interest on how they were progressing. Now, for this club to be in the the third or fourth tier of competition only a handful of years ago and to make it to the EPL, and they started on fire, didn't they? They beat Arsenal, they drew with Liverpool, um, and I think they also drew with Chelsea, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. They've had a bad run in the last four weeks, but I'm sure they will come good as a result of their Dutch coach. But that's my team now, Brentford FC. I've been in love with them for the last uh, 10 years, had a mild interest, but since they were promoted to the EPL uh, at the beginning of this season, well, my passion for this team has grown an arm and a leg. There you go, the bees. The bees. Yeah, the bees. The bees. They've been around for a long, long time too, since the late 1890s. But who would have thought the Bees would make it to the EPL? They've got a new home ground now, and I'm hoping they stay up uh, next season at least. Norwich will probably go down. Don't uh, say who that. Else, who else? Oh. Don't say that. Why not? Well, because we want to give uh, Dean Smith a chance to win a couple of games. He's 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 left Aston Villa <laughs> in a hurry, and and it's amazing though. He's he's been out of work for a week, and he's got a new job. Still okay, in the EPL. Well. <laughs> 
Well, they wear green and gold, don't they? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Dean Smith uh, <laughs> coming through with almost as many job offers as uh, as you after you left SBS, Mike. But, uh, <laughs> I, 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 on, on the subject of Brentford, um, interesting fact about them: owned by a professional gambler from Denmark, and he also owns uh, FC Michelin, whereas uh, where A1 Mobile plays. So okay, he, yes. he's Mike. building that sort of potso of. Uh, you know, Citigroup uh, style network of teams. So maybe one day we'll see an Australian playing for uh, for Brentford if Mabil keeps progressing the way he has. Okay, well that makes sense. And there's a lot of Danish players in Brentford, but yeah, uh, yeah let's hope an Aussie plays very soon, uh, or at least an ambassador. Uh, Mike Tomalaris, it's been a joy to catch up with you, my friend. Um, I was absolutely shocked when you when you finished at SBS, but I uh, I believe and I have great faith that this world is um, is full of opportunity, especially for good people and people who have served a tremendous apprenticeship uh, and also helped to deliver some of the grand sports uh, in a fashion that no one thought was possible 20, 30 years ago. Uh, watching the Tour de France now is a global event and it's watched by millions, if not more. Thank you, George. Yeah. Thank you. I'm humbled by those words. And again, I genuinely speak with with my heart when I say you are one of my mentors. And look, you've been through the hard times as well. You left SBS to go to another network. You've been to a, a variety of networks. Uh, things happen, uh, you move on, and you have to reinvent yourself. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's great to know that, there, that there's a lot of love out there for from people. I mean, I was in a, in a dark place immediately after I left. I've come through that. I'm in a good place now. And I think I've been buoyed by the love that's been out there. And I think we've made a difference, both of us. And hopefully you too will do one day, Josh. Uh, um, we change lives. People have told me, George, if I can just be quick, people have told me I used to play soccer. I don't anymore. I started smoking. I started eating bad food. My wife didn't love me. But since I watched you and watched your coverage of the cycling on SBS, I, uh, I jumped on a bike. I started to wear Lycra. I started to shave my legs. I started to eat good food. And guess what? My wife loves me again. And it's all because of what you've done. <laughs> Mate, that, that is a fantastic way to finish this. But, and I can give you one last word. My wife will not let me wear Lycra in a million years. She goes, no way, Jose. <laughs> Look after yourself. Catch up soon. Once again, Mike Tomolaris joining us on Thanks, FNR man. to uh, to reminisce and talk about just how much that not only the game, but how television has changed in the last 30, 40 years. Thank you, Mike. All the very best. Thanks, boys. There you go. One of the one of the very best young young guys who I remember at SBS. And we had a crop of them. Mm. And they stayed, they they worked hard, and they developed their their, their uh, opportunity. Sure. And uh, as he mentioned, uh, when you travel the world doing one thing, you, you could end up doing something else as well because the opportunities are endless. And uh, that's, that's the thing about sport. It takes you anywhere and everywhere. I, th- I think there's a, a really nice common thread that links uh, cycling football beyond SBS, and that's how they both span the globe in terms of interest. Correct. And I... Following football for me has given me a wider perspective on things yeah. and uh, not being so insular because we can be very insular in okay. this country. Absolutely. And I think cycling and the way the Tour de France has um, changed in terms of its coverage over the years, and now it's basically a tourism program, oh, it's a- is really uh, expands people's point of view. And there's, there's life outside of this little island we're on. People you know, rush to France, uh, especially pre-COVID times, mm-hmm. rush to France so they can walk the track, uh, 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 ride the 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 the, the hills, uh, and those that, that course is is seriously tough. Mm. And yet there are patches where you, the average rider can have a wow of a time and pretend with the lycra on that they're almost part of the uh, you know the French team, the Italian team, the the Australian team, or whatever. And, and it's also the tactics, and yeah. there is great drama, and the yellow jersey, yeah. Or the pink jersey, or the green one. If you're a sprinter, it's the green one. Yeah, it's and a, we ha- we've had a few sprinters who, and we've got a couple of young ones now who are on the cusp mm. of again going to the Tour de France and being contenders to not just participate but to play the game. And speaking about the coverage, I think other sports are starting to adopt a similarly uh, sort of cinematic approach. Uh, to what they're doing, I've seen in La Liga and also in the NBA basketball in America, uh, they're using these 8K cameras with 
uh, different uh, sort of filmic lens. Yeah, and uh, drones. And obviously you still need the higher speed yep. uh, for the, the wide shot, of course, which is show all the action, but the sidelines, the throw-ins, the cutaways. And you don't have to have huge harnesses mm. now. You can have a drone. Yeah, exactly. Play a particular role. It stays there. Yeah, it, You don't have to worry about that. You can manoeuvre it. Um, and, it, again, it's changing not only the way we see the game, but the way we sell the game. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's also in terms of still photography and stuff with you know with Instagram Phenomenal. such a huge platform now. I mean, some of the A League clubs are getting really smart about the way they photograph games. I think Melbourne City is a great example in that, and the the picturesque you know Friday night FFA Cup fixture oh. with the city in the backdrop at Lakeside. There's some well, wonderful South, photos. South Melbourne ground, Lakeside. Mm-hmm. There is no better ground in an evening where the weather is magnificent. You look across, you have the yeah. lights the game in front of you and the most picturesque cityscape. It's just magical. I'm sure uh, the likes of uh, Central Coast Stadium in Gosford and oh, uh, yeah. Wollongong uh, have yeah, a lovely sound, backdrop as well. You sound like well. a disciple of Ray Gatt. Uh, <laughs> Ray, if you're listening, um, we'll, give you, we'll give you the you know, Gosford. It's, it is pretty, but for, in, a metro- in a metropolis the size of Melbourne, mm-hmm. there is no grander occasion than to sit in the grandstand at uh, Lakeside and watch a game, uh, you know, it, you know, turn out in front of you. It's I actually great. heard recently of uh, someone getting married on Central Coast Stadium. Get out! And it poured rain. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Time for us to go. Uh, you've got a very important uh, history lesson coming up shortly with uh, yeah, so John Didelitzer. We've had to uh, pull a pin on that for this oh, that week. Right? Uh, Paul Mavrudis uh, wasn't able to make himself available. But hopefully, down the line, we'll get Paul Mavrudis and John Didelitzer in the studio for an hour-long sit-down talking about. Uh, Ten games that changed Australia. I reckon you should use uh, a scorecard too to see how they end up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, mate. All the best. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.